the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition, the Maundy Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to hear from Michael Allen Harrison in just a few moments. He is going to be presenting 10 Grands this Saturday, 5.30 p.m. at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. This is after a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. Uh, we'll give you all the important details and where you can pick up tickets and... Uh, it's going to be a great time. Ten grand pianos, ten great players, and some special guests as well. That's coming up in the next segment with Michael Allen Harrison. And also, um, we'll talk with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We'll talk about Maundy Thursday, the events that took place, Good Friday, the despair that followers must have experienced at the crucifixion of Christ, and Resurrection Sunday. That's coming up later this hour as well. Well, taking a look at some of the day's headlines, and we won't have a lot of time for that, but uh, accused Brooklyn subway shooter Frank James was found guilty of harassment uh, stemming from allegations he made terroristic threats in New Jersey in the 1990s. That's what a court official confirmed. James is now 62. He was charged with two counts of terroristic threats for an incident that occurred in the mid-90s in New Jersey. The spokesman later wrote in an email that the two terroristic threats charges were third-degree offenses under New Jersey law and were therefore felonies. But James was convicted of harassment, which is a disorderly person's offense and not a felony. He's now being held for events that took place in the um, subway just days ago. Elon Musk offered to buy the rest of Twitter, Inc. in a deal valuing the social media platform at more than $43 billion, saying he wants to take the company private to make it an online home for free speech. Mr. Musk calls the bid his best and final offer, adding that it, uh, if his proposal isn't accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Mr. Musk earlier this year built a position of more than 9% of Twitter. Uh, Twitter confirmed it had received Mr. Musk's offer and said its board of directors would review the proposal to determine the course of action that it uh, believes is in the best interest of the company and all of its shareholders. On Thursday, Musk reiterated Twitter's potential to be the platform for free speech, saying the company will neither thrive nor serve this society societal imperative in its current form. California regulators unveiled a plan to ban the sale of new gas cars by 2035. Today, the state's latest effort to combat greenhouse gas emissions. The plan from the California Air Resources Board calls for 35 percent of new car sales in the state to be battery or hydrogen powered by 2026. The board will vote on the proposal in August. The order, if enacted, would represent the fruition of Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom's uh, September 2020 executive order aiming to ban new gas and diesel vehicles by 2035. Pull away from the gas pumps, Newsom said. Let us no longer be victims of geopolitical dictators that manipulate global supply chains and global markets. Would that it would be that easy and that the average Joe could afford such technology. We'll follow that story as it develops over the next, well, decade. 
Searching for a gasoline solution, President Biden on Tuesday said that he's doing everything within his power to bring down the price of gas across the nation. A California woman who alleged allegedly faked her own kidnapping for 22 days back in 2016 is going to admit it was a hoax under a plea deal she struck with prosecutors. It uh, captured headlines back then. Authorities are investigating a shooting where a nine-year-old girl was injured at a mall in Victorville, California, Tuesday evening. In a case of supply drain, Boeing on Tuesday moved orders for 141 of its airplanes into accounting limbo due to the war in Ukraine and international sanctions against Russia. Migrants who crossed the southern border into the U.S. were spotted taking selfies in front of the unfinished border wall as the crisis continues to rage. And Representative Kai Kaeli, who ran on a promise of giving constituents full-time representation, has been absent from the Capitol for most of this year. It's April, by the way. Home Depot co-founder Ken Legon, he's predicted that the U.S. will face a recession and called President Biden worse than former President Jimmy Carter. American democracy is likely coming to an end, at least according to MSNBC, ABC and CBS and some Democrat politicians. The Washington Post PR team posted a link to a job listing site to advertise for a reporter in Texas to track and document conservative culture. And on Tuesday, NBC News parroted the White House's Putin price hike, talking uh, uh, talking points in its report on March inflation rates. ABC, CBS and NBC are turning a blind eye toward the scandal plaguing the Black Lives Matter organization and the purchase of an expensive mansion for private use. Senator Marco Rubio says when President Biden ends Title 42 enforcement at the border, we will see hundreds of thousands more illegal immigrants arriving in the U.S. And Greg Gutfeld reminds that two weeks to uh, flatten the curve became two years of flattening the economy. DeRoy Murdoch reminds that just as I predicted in August 2020, Joe Biden was uh, declared has declared war on school choice. Stephen Moore and E.J. Antony point out that since Biden took office, the real value of the average American earnings has collapsed, falling 4.5 percent in little more than a year. Catholic prayer and meditation app Hallow has launched a partnership with Mark Wahlberg, the biggest name to provide the app with content. He, of course, is starring in a movie about a Catholic priest. There is a looming vet shortage. Veterinarians, like everyone else, are feeling burned out today, potentially affecting you and your pet as you face long wait times for vet appointments, plus other issues. In a growing crime wave, Houston and its surrounding area are seeing an uptick in gun violence and children are increasingly paying the price. The Brooklyn subway shooting suspect is in custody. Frank James was taken into custody after New York City police officers captured him following a Crime Stoppers tip on Wednesday afternoon. And by the way, he himself called in and told them where he was. KT McFarland told Fox News Digital that Russia has fallen back on Plan D, not ABC, but Plan D, after failing to maintain a protracted siege on Kiev. And Ohio lawmakers and said critics are misleading the public about a bill opponents dubbed the Buckeye State's version of Don't Say Gay Parental Rights Law. And finally, the federal judge hearing former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman's case denied dismissal of special counsel John Durham's charge. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Michael Allen Harrison. Ten Grands, it's back at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. Ten great uh, pianists as well as ten grand pianos. That's coming up tomorrow, or I should say Saturday night.
Saturday night, April 16th at 530. More coming up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, if you're looking for something beautiful to attend to enjoy this weekend, I want to let you know that 10 Grand is back. And Michael Allen Harrison is uh, with us to talk about this performance coming up this Saturday only at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. Michael Allen Harrison, hello. How are you? Hi, Georgine. It's so great to hear your voice. <laughs> well, thank you. It's good to know that you're going to be behind the uh, behind the piano playing and uh, doing so with a group of great musicians. For our listeners who aren't familiar with Ten Grands, maybe they just emerged from a cave or something. Uh, tell us about Ten Grand Pianos and ten amazing pianists that are going to be performing this weekend as part of what has been sort of a fixture here in the Portland metro area. It sure has. Well, I I created this platform 20 years ago to as a uh, an event for the community to get the community involved as far as the musicians and, and young people, but also, um, you know, after all the expenses are paid for, we, we use all the net proceeds uh, to support uh, my play it forward program. And uh, so it's, I really created the platform to raise money for kids. And, uh, and it's just incredible extravaganza. We have 10 beautiful black, shiny grand pianos on stage all at the same time with 10 world-class pianists, and we we do about five arrangements where all 10 of us play together. Then uh, each of us take a turn playing a solo, and then, you know, we have a few duets and things like that, and then sometimes we have singers, and of course, you know, Julianne Johnson has been in our show. Yes. Uh, incredible, legendary, you know, gospel and, you know, jazz and blues singer, and uh, she helps us, you know, always end the show, put a big punctuation point on it. <laughs> And uh, uh, she'll be in the show once again. And, of course, you know, we haven't been there for a couple of years. And uh, so we're back. We're able to do it live. Uh, the uh, the venue has lifted the mask mandate and also the uh, needing to show vaccination cards. And so uh, people can, you know, uh, can feel uh, pretty confident and safe. Uh, we the, the venue and we also, we still encourage people uh, to wear masks, especially those who are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And if, well, if you're not vaccinated to, you know, get a negative test before you come. And, you know, and our community has been pretty good about, you know, watching out for each other. So um, it's been really great. I've done a few events now um, where it's live music indoors and outdoors, and everybody's been very, very respectful and very mindful. And, and uh, so we, uh, we know that everybody's going to be doing that again for this show. And um, I, I just got to tell you, I am so excited to be able to perform for 2,800 people. And, you know, <laughs> there's, the energy, you know, is there's nothing like it. It's so great for the artists. It's so wonderful for the audience. And, you know, and we're doing good things for the community. And it's just going to be a great feel-good night, you know, over Easter weekend. Because uh, we always do it on Saturday because everybody has, you know, Good Friday activities and, of course, um, uh, <clears throat> Easter Sunday. And so we always we always do the show Easter weekend. A lot of people make it part of mm-hmm. what they do Easter. They have Good Friday. They kind of 10 grand on Saturday and then, uh, and then Easter on Sunday. And what, what we also done 
is, is sometimes people still have Easter things going Saturday night. We're starting the show early. So the show starts at 530. And so you'll be in your car and on your way to another event by 730. But with music in your heart. So it's going to be a, a great <laughs> evening. Now, you're going to be featured. Obviously, Tom Grant is going to be there. Who are some of the other yeah. pianists who are going to be playing? Well, some of them, uh, for, for those who have been coming to 10 Grands year after year, they know a lot of our cast. Some mm-hmm. of the cast are some kids who started in our 10 Grants for Kids program. And now, you know, we've been doing this 20 years. Now they've grown up to be professional. One of one of them is uh, has a doctorate and is a professor at uh, Northern Iowa, Andrea Johnson. She's coming back to play in the show. Uh, Mac Potts, uh, uh, we met him as a very young boy, a, a young blind man. He uh, uh, We met him when he was around 10, and he's been in our show uh, for, gosh, about 15 years. And then uh, another uh, child in our program, uh, Haley Rowden, uh, she was in our 10 Grants for Kids show, and now she's also a professional and and a, a composer. And Mac and Haley, uh, they are our first showmans. So they are now married and have <laughs> three kids. Wow. Spectacular story. Um, I got a couple of great uh, world-class classical guys coming down from Seattle because they do our show. We take our show up to Seattle, too. And there's a world-class classical pianist by the name of Mark Salmon, who's going to play an incredible Beethoven piece. And then another gentleman, his name is William Chapman Yaho, and he was born in uh, Ghana. And, uh, and then he is also a professor at, uh, at the University of Washington. And so he does a fusion of, of jazz and classical and, and African uh, uh, rhythms that he does with his composition. He's a really interesting artist, and he, he plays like you wouldn't believe, and he's just so charming and wonderful. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, our you know, legendary Tom Grant, and then another uh, legend here locally is a New Age pianist by the name of John, John Nilsson. John Nilsson's going to be in the show. We, uh, one of the legendary educators in this area, she lives in Vancouver, is Colleen Adent, and uh, incredible, versatile uh, player, but also just a, a, a wonderful mentor and educator. And uh, so, you know, we uh, just really great variety. The show really shows, you know, what the piano can do, how the piano gets involved, you know, in classical music and pop music and gospel and jazz um, in new age, you know, in alternative and, uh, you know, uh, Modern classical music, the, the 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 piano can be used in every genre. It's just amazing, and then to hear the sound of ten of them going all at once, <laughs> there's nothing like just, it. Yeah, there's nothing like it. And you know what, Georgine, there's no other show like this in the world. We're the only ones that do this concept, and uh, we're making plans to start touring, uh, possibly in 2023. Uh, we have toured around a little bit, but we wanted to tour all the way around America and eventually get over to Europe and Asia. And so we're making plans to start doing that, which is very exciting. Well, it is exciting. And I'm glad that you are resuming what has been a tradition here in the Portland metro area. Once again, this is where it started. And we kind of take ownership of this event. Ten grand pianos, ten amazing performers. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, 
Uh, you're going to have Julianne Johnson. She's going to join you. It's going to be a great event, and it's coming up this Saturday. It's been a couple of years, so if you have missed hearing these wonderful uh, musicians, Ten Grands is back. That's Saturday the 16th, this coming, 5.30 p.m., so you've got the rest of the evening at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. Now, for tickets, let me encourage you that to uh, contact Portland 5 Box Office. Uh, maybe you have a better suggestion, or you can call 503-248-4910. 503-248-4910. Or again, 10grands.com is a great place to, uh, to purchase your tickets. And uh, you mentioned earlier, this is uh, to support... Play It Forward, the program that you developed to help young musicians um, develop their skills. Absolutely. And it's such a a great uh, program where the whole community gets involved. Um, A lot of the instruments uh, we get from the community, we take in beautiful, gently used instruments, you know, violins and pianos, you know, drum sets, keyboards, flutes, I mean, you name it, Uh, you know, uh, folks who aren't using those instruments uh, anymore, they turn them into us. and then we play them forward to a, uh, to a child and a family who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it. And the other thing that we're doing with the money that we're raising is we're also providing scholarships for lessons. So not only do you get a free instrument, you also you get free lessons. And we, uh, we started some after-school programs over in North Portland and, uh, and also through Bravo, which is the El Sistema uh, program that does the orchestras for kids. And, um, and it's been very, very successful. And uh, we're, uh, we just started at King Elementary this year, and it's going so well. We're going to expand the program even more next year and hopefully add a couple more schools. And also at King Elementary, uh, they've asked us to come in and give piano lessons to the kids during the school day because some of the kids aren't able to be there after school. And so they're, they're able to carve out some of the time during the day uh, so these kids can take uh, piano lessons. And, and it's making a huge difference. They're already telling us it's showing huge results uh, how the kids are improving academically. Oh, that's incredible. And, incredible. So when folks, you attend 10 Grands, um, you have an opportunity to support young musicians and who knows might take who might take the stage at some point in the not too distant future who is a recipient of your generosity. Now, once again, want to remind you that's coming up this Saturday, 530 p.m., a great way to uh, punctuate your holiday weekend at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. Um, you can p- uh, purchase tickets at 503-248-4910. 503-248-4910. You can also go to 10grands.com. Michael Allen Harrison, thank you so much for talking with us. And I, I know we look forward to hearing all that great music emanating from the uh, Schnitzer Concert Hall this weekend. Thank you so much, Georgine. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, that's coming up this Saturday. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up, we're going to talk with Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. We'll talk about Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, followers of Christ and their despair upon his suffering and crucifixion, and Resurrection Sunday. That's all coming up right here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, today is what is often referred to as Maundy Thursday. It's the day that we remember the final, uh, well, we remember throughout the week, the final week before being crucified and resurrection, that he said this command to his disciples, 
He also said that we were to love one another. There's the Last Supper. There's the washing of uh, their feet. A new commandment in John 13, 34. I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Well, to talk with us about some of the events that took place on this Maundy Thursday and the days following is Pastor Rich Jones with Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. And it's always a delight to have you with us. Welcome. Are you with us, Pastor Rich? I am here. How are you doing, Georgine? I'm doing well. Well, this is quite a week, and I'm sure as a pastor of a large and thriving church, it's been a busy um, week for you as well. So I appreciate your taking the time to join us and talk a bit about some of the events of this um, momentous week. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this all week and uh, very glad for the opportunity. And uh, this is the greatest day on the calendar, and it is a it is a day that leads us to that great day of the resurrection on Sunday. And I'll tell you, I'm sure many churches are saying the same thing. We are going to celebrate. And uh, after after two years of COVID pandemic, I think there's just such a, a, a cry of the heart. We need to celebrate. We have so much to rejoice about that that, that should be the theme of our lives. Absolutely. And you're right. It's so good to gather together again and uh, to celebrate in in this occasion, uh, most of all, because we're remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, we've been working yeah. our way kind of through the week. Today is known as Maundy Thursday. It's the uh, Thursday mm-hmm. before Easter, uh, believed to be the day that Jesus celebrated his final Passover with his disciples. Uh, most notably, the Passover meal was when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples in an extraordinary right. display of humility. And when you consider what what's coming, and it's just days away, um, what he's just told his disciples, it's really quite remarkable when you consider how he chose to spend that time. And then he also commanded us to love um, one another. Uh, let's begin with um, uh, one thing that uh, Jesus said about the definition of love. Now, he was about to demonstrate the strongest, most compelling demonstration of love that history has ever known. And he turns to his disciples and says he's giving them a new commandment and uh, also a new commandment to us that we love one another just as I have loved you, you also to love one another. Now, in the context of uh, what he is doing and what he's about to do, we're to love as he loved us. Can you talk a little bit about that's John 13, 34, his That's command right. to love one another and how that needs to be a major feature of our celebration and reflection during this season. And of course, the demonstration of that love on that, that uh, what we celebrate is Monday, Thursday, the washing of their disciples' feet um, is a, a picture of that servant heart that Jesus so emphasized when we love one another as he has loved us. And then he demonstrated that heart of a, of a servant, which is absolutely amazing, because we're talking about the King of Kings here mm-hmm. and the Lord of Lords washing their feet. It's absolutely amazing, but this is the example. And then he gave his life, and that that is, again, our example. You know, in Ephesians 5, it talks about the, uh, that a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. And he gives, therefore, examples of that very thing of how to love as he loves. And I tell you, we need that definition because our definition is oftentimes very Mm self-centered. And uh, when he gives such an amazing demonstration and definition, it's really 
amazing to consider. It is amazing to consider. And when you think about all, if I'm not mistaken, all 12 of the disciples were there. He washed Peter's and John's and he also washed the feet of Judas and he knew what the future hell, what was in Judas heart. He washed his feet. It tells me that the love that I'm called to doesn't um, base its fervency on what what's in it for me, what I will receive in return. It's an unselfish, yeah. outward-looking love yeah. that reflects the knew, way he did. And he knew, of course, that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him, and yet he washed his feet. Now that is amazing, and and, and it really is uh, just it causes the heart to just want to have such compassion because when when people are hurting us, they betray us, the last thing we want to do is to wash their feet. And uh, so many people, they walk around with so much bitterness and and, uh, and hurt and, and uh, unforgiveness. So it is an amazing thing to see, again, that demonstration of love, knowing very well this was going to be the one who would betray him. So the the whole of the story is re- remarkable. And of course, Passover supper and all that it represents is amazing. I mean, the whole of Monday, Thursday really is a, is a highlight of the week because of the lessons that it brings to us. And it just it strengthens faith. Yeah. And that's, that, that's the whole thing that I think that we need to take hold of is, is that God is doing a new work in us of strengthening faith because he's showing himself. He's showing his heart. And that's what he wants us to do, to fall in love with him. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, as we'd love to quote from John 3, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And right there is the, the, the theme of it. God doesn't want anyone to perish. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, it says, God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his wicked ways and live. That That's that's the heart of God. You know, Jesus said in, in the book of Luke that, the angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. I love that picture right there. Mm-hmm. One sinner repenting, because this is the theme. This is the theme of the gospel, uh, the the rejoicing of heaven when one sinner repents. You really see the heart of God. You see the heart of God demonstrated through his son, you know. Uh, God demonstrated the greatness of his love and that God died for us while we were yet sinners, that again, it's just mind blowing to consider that kind of love because that's not our kind of love. No, there was nothing attractive about mankind that drew him to love us, but he loved us, as you pointed out in Romans 5 8. He loved us while we were yet sinners. And that is such an amazing picture of the lavish grace and love yeah. and mercy that he. Um, has extended to us. Now, you mentioned the Passover, and I think we will probably take a break here in a minute, so I don't want to get too deep into it, but I want to talk a bit about the Passover. I think for his disciples who grew up in the Jewish culture, they would have fully appreciated at what everything um, uh, Jesus said and did during that particular time meant, whereas we might miss some of the the deeper truths that Jesus was conveying. Uh, this was a practice that they had all been engaged in from their youth. It, they would have been very familiar with the Passover, and if they knew the scriptures, they would have suspected that the Messiah and Passover were somehow linked, even if they didn't fully understand what 
uh, what that all meant. So we're going to take a break. But when we return, could we talk a little bit about uh, Jesus and the Passover and how that pointed to him and the things that Mm -hmm. he said during that time that would help us to understand who he is and he was fulfilling what God called him to do. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Pastor Rich Jones with Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. We'll let you know what they're doing this weekend if you're looking for a church to uh, worship. So stick around for that detail as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I've invited Pastor Rich Jones to join me. He's from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro, and we're talking about the events of Maundy Thursday and following. Now, just before the break, I mentioned that Passover would have been very familiar to the disciples. Uh, from their youth, they would have celebrated and observed Passover. Uh, but for those of us who are looking on from a distance, may not fully appreciate, first of all, the fulfillment of prophecy, but what the meaning of Passover uh, would have been for them and certainly for us as well. Can you talk a bit about the importance of the timing of these events? Well, if we had a lot of time, we could really get into the details <laughs> of this because it is absolutely a deep understanding and amazing in all that it represents, I tell you, it would be a fascinating study to go through every element of the Passover meal and how it represents Christ. But really, we should go back to the Passover event and start there because Israel, if you remember, of course, every many do, Israel was oppressed. They were in slavery in Egypt all those years, and they had been crying out in their great distress, you know. And so God sent Moses, uh, I'm just summarizing the story fast, but God says Moses, you know, to go and lead his people out of this oppression and out of this slavery, but first they have to, uh, they have to uh, uh, come against Egypt. And so Moses, as you know, he's challenging the Pharaoh, you know, with all the different plagues, comes finally to the tenth plague, uh, by which he declares that the firstborn uh, will will pass, will die, but that if anyone would take the blood of an unblemished lamb and apply it to the doorposts and the lintel of his house, and then come through that blood and, and, and stay there inside that house while the angel of death, or the angel of condemnation, you might say, passes over. And that's really where we get the, the word Passover, the angel of death passing over that house, because the blood of that unblemished lamb had been applied to that house. Now, that's, that's the understanding, of course. And all of the Jews took God at his word and applied that blood to their homes. And, of course, the Egyptians, many of them did not, and therefore, uh, most of them did not. And therefore, the angel of, of condemnation and death took the life of the firstborn. But the Jews were saved because the angel passed over. Well, there's so much to, to say, but... Let's start with the application of that blood, Mm -hmm. because that really becomes the question uh, to the believer today, because there's a very similar aspect. The blood of the lamb must be applied. So Jesus explains, you know, at that last supper with his disciples that this is my blood, and he is that lamb. And so the blood of that lamb must be applied if it's not applied to your life, then the angel of condemnation does not pass over. And there's the question. It, 
it's a personal question. Does that blood of that unblemished lamb, who is Jesus, has it been applied to your life? And that's the crux of the whole of the story. I mean, there's so many, as I say, there's so many details that are beautiful because of what it speaks to in, in relation to Christ. But that blood applied, that's the focal point of it all. And uh, if we have time, I'd, I'd like, if you don't mind, I, I want to kind of speak to it in a bit of a personal way in, in this sense. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, there were uh, two Pharisees of particular note in the crowd. One of them was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And it says that he was a, a believer, a follower, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. So he was there in the crowd. He knew in his heart this was wrong, that an innocent man was, you know, being scourged and beaten and crucified, but he said nothing, and he did nothing. Then he stood there as he watched this man, who he knew was the Son of God, the Messiah, the innocent one whom God had sent, dying on the cross. He did nothing. He said nothing. But then when Jesus said those words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, something happened. Something happened. And so he went to the he went to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and asked for the body of Jesus. So he and Nicodemus, another Pharisee, went, took the body of Jesus off the cross. Now you can imagine what his body would have looked like. It would have been blood-soaked. Mm-hmm. He, he was whipped and scourged beyond recognition as a man, uh, he's described in, in Isaiah. The bloodiness of this body. And they took him off the cross. You can imagine that they would have to essentially hold his body against their own as they would gently lower this down. Here's my point. Can you imagine how they must have looked? This body of Christ, now his blood applied all over them. And here's my point. Oh, they're involved in the story now. Hmm. They're not secret disciples anymore. His blood is all over them. And so they care for the body. They wash the body. They prepare it for burial. And what I love about the story is they're involved now because his blood is all over them. And my point to the whole story is we have to be involved in the story. We have to be involved. That blood must be applied to each one of us or we are not saved. That is the most plain way to say it. And that is the power of that blood because the price that he paid, the death that he died, he died in our place so that we might be crucified with him there's that blood applied. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. I'm quoting Galatians. And there's that resurrected life. Because his blood is applied to me, because his death is applied to me, now his resurrection is applied to me. And there's that newness of life by which we all have that assurance of eternal life and salvation. It's a powerful, powerful story. It is, and it has the impact of changing a life from the inside oh. out in ways that it's difficult to even describe. Oh, if absolutely. If we could only, if we could only take 
uh, and understand the greatness of God's love. And, you know, I think a person has to ask, why would God love me? I mean, I'm a sinner. You know, when Jesus, you know, we were talking before the break about Jesus washing their feet. Well, uh, can you imagine just for a moment their feet? I mean, we're talking about a dirty street where animals walked and, let's say, how do you say this, did their business? Mm -hmm. And it, it all got mingled in the mud and the dirt and the sweat, and they're walking through. Can you just imagine how dirty their feet was? It's not like ours. We all wear nice shoes and socks. No, when he washed their feet, I'm telling you, they were dirty. And to me, there's the picture of it. Jesus sees us in our dirtiness. He sees us in our sin. It's ugly. It's smelly. It, people got the world all over them. And yet he loved. Now, you have to ask the question, why does God love us? He knows we're sinners. Isn't God offended by sin? Yes, he's very much so. But yet he loves. But why? And the answer is because, because we're made in the image of God. It's like it's like when I when I looked at my baby, my first child, and they held. You know, I wasn't really into babies until I had one. <laughs> and then I'm holding this baby, you know, in my arms. I'm thinking, I started crying. It's like this. I can see myself. This is this baby is part of me, my image, you know. And God looks at each of us, and yes, we're sinners. Yes, we messed up our lives, but God sees His image. We are made in Him, and. and out of that great love, he's going to do what a sinner cannot do for himself. Amen. And that is to find newness of life. It, it's, oh, i tell you, this is a beautiful story. We, it's a day to celebrate. It is. We're going to continue our conversation in just a few moments, but I do need to take a break for news and traffic here at the top of the hour. Once again, we're talking with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We'll also find out when and where their services are so that if you're looking for a place to worship this uh, this weekend, you'll get all the important details. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. On this Monday, Thursday, we're talking with Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro, and we're talking about the events that took place on this day during Holy Week. We talked just before the uh, the break about the fact that Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13, chapters 2 through 17. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus washing the disciples' feet is such an iconic um, image of the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ who facing the, uh, the, the 
heaviness and the weight of the sin of the world that the suffering that's coming, he still focuses his his uh, time and attention on the disciples, teaching them, humbling himself before them. It's a really an amazing thing to consider in the context of this week. And Jesus, unlike his disciples, knows everything that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't you just love Peter in that story, by the way, Georgie? <laughs> you just love Peter. <laughs> he you has know, so much to know. say. <laughs> he, he just stands out to me. You know, there's a lot of people who who look at Peter and say, well, you know, he's the one disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, you know. <laughs> seems like he's always putting his foot in his mouth. But I'll tell you what, you got to love Peter here. Yeah. It's like, you know, at first, of course, he's like resisting, <laughs> which I, I think, you know, there's a part of Peter that's like, well, me, you know, I'm the special one. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's kind of, you know, uh, the, the great one. Now, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Oh, if that's what it's about, then wash all of me. I mean, there's just something bodacious about that, that you got to love about Peter, because I really believe that that's, that's a kind of response that God loves. And there's a bodacious faith that I think God wants to stir in all of us. And, and when we look at the events of this week, Monday, Thursday, the washing of his feet, and of course, leading to the... Uh, the Good Friday, the crucifixion of Christ, in in many ways, I, I think that there is a, a certain tendency towards kind of making things a, a bit of a routine, and and I I just I, I never want the church to be like that. I want us to be alive. I want us to appreciate fresh and anew uh, all that God has done for us, and that's really what as we're celebrating. The resurrection, that's what we should be doing. Just afresh and anew, be amazed again at what God has done for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyway, that's what I love about Peter, this bodaciousness, you know. (laughs) God, give us faith like that. Uh, It's a tremendous story because Mm -hmm. he's saying, as I did to you, now you do unto others. I've given you an example. And there's a bodaciousness to that kind of life. I'm telling you, God won for us a life, not only eternal life, but a beautiful life now. And that doesn't mean an easy life. In fact, Jesus said, in this life you'll have many troubles. But take courage, I've overcome the world. Really what he's saying is, I'm going to walk with you in the journey of this life. What I've won for you is an opportunity to have a relationship to God as your father. That relationship, God walking with us, means that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, because thou art with me. Your rod and your hand, your staff, they comfort me. It's that relationship that gives a person a beautiful life. The joy of, uh, that's from God himself, peace that passes understanding, the kind of only God can demonstrate. It changes, it transforms, and that's what God wants. Let us let us be afresh and anew in our passion. You know, we call this Passion Week, it, and it's a reflection of His passion. Mm-hmm. That's right. But let His passion show us that it ought to inspire our passion. The church is the bride of Christ, and the church is is to fall in love with a passion. And it, it, it is the theme, uh, I think, of this week, and, and may it be for all of us. In addition to washing the disciples' feet, 
um, what is referred to as the Last Supper or the Last Passover. In Luke 22, we read that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And just keeping in mind that this uh, this pronouncement, this Passover, these um, elements were uh, taken before his crucifixion. Jesus knew full well that he was the Lamb of God, that everything that the Passover represented, he would fulfill in just a matter of days. The disciples, for them, although he had told them what was to come, it was a, another Passover. But this was very personal for Jesus because he was the fulfillment of every element of what the Passover had been and would be moving forward. That's right. But then notice how he made it personal with yes. the disciples when he said, this, this is my body, now take and eat. This cup is the cup of the new covenant initiated in my blood, now take and drink. That, I mean, this, is, this is so amazing to consider what he is saying here. This is my body, take and eat. In other words, it must become part of you. It becomes personal. Jesus knew that all of this represented such a powerful and deep thing. But then he, he wants more than just a mental ascent. Mm-hmm. He, he wants us to take and partake of. The blood must be applied, as we described earlier, as that first Passover is pictured. This is my body, now drink it. You know, when Jesus said that earlier, uh, the crowds heard that, and they were offended at such a thought. And and it is a difficult thing for people to take hold of, but what it represents means that his body must his his body, the represented in this bread, the holy unblemished lamb of God. You must partake of it. Be able to eat the, the Passover lamb, partake of it, eat of it. Must become part of you. The the cup when you drink it, you take it into you into your being, and. It transforms you because his his presence is now inside you. It, it's something to really deeply ponder because the depth of it. Uh, I, I'm convinced we will not truly understand the depth of it until the kingdom comes. Jesus said, and I will not drink this with you again until the kingdom comes. Well, when that day comes, oh, how glorious it will be. As I think that what we see now, dimly, we might say, we're going to see him face to face, and we're going to see with our heart and our eyes open to the magnificence of what he's accomplished for us. And I'll tell you what, we're going to celebrate that day. We're going to understand that day. And we are going to worship with our hearts, filled and overflowing. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Amen. We're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. We're talking about the events of this Maundy Thursday, looking forward to Good Friday and ultimately Resurrection Sunday. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Pastor Ritz Jones of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro on this Monday, Thursday, as we anticipate Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Now, let me ask you, Pastor Rich, um, what's going on at Hillsboro um, Calvary Chapel for folks who may not have a, a church home and want to celebrate uh, either um, Good Friday or, or um, Resurrection Sunday? Get my day straight here. There you go. Well, we are definitely going to be celebrating. That's the theme of the weekend. We have five services, Saturday night, three Sunday morning, and also Sunday night. So many, many different ways to celebrate, many opportunities, whatever works better for time. Of course, some services are way over the top going to be full, but it's going to be a day to celebrate. I tell you, when when, when the, there is a uh, a sanctuary filled and overflowing. It, there's a joy in the Lord that just reaches to the rafters. It's just a joy. So they're invited. Well, and you guys have great worship, great Bible teaching. So if you're looking for a place to worship this weekend, Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro, I would highly Amen. recommend it. Well, we are headed Absolutely. toward um, Good Friday. And again, it feels a little awkward to refer to the day that Jesus is crucified as good, but it's in the context of everything that follows and everything that preceded that we refer to to Good Friday. Um, Jesus, who just washed the disciples' feet, who shared this new covenant and uh, the, the Last Supper with his disciples, uh, declares that they are all going to scatter in a matter of, of hours. They're, they're going to leave him, and yet he continues to, to love them, to prepare them, to speak to them. Uh, in ways that, you know, you and I might be a little put out <laughs> knowing, you know, he yeah. goes off to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples fall asleep. He's very gracious. He recognizes yeah. that their spirit is willing, but their flesh is weak. And yeah. he goes essentially to Good Friday. He goes um, to be interrogated and beaten and ultimately crucified alone. Can you talk a little bit about this Good Friday that we commemorate? And, of course, we call it good because of what it accomplishes. Yes. The tragedy of his death that he suffered is really what we recognize on Good Friday. And it's important to do that, to, to, to step back for a moment and to recognize the price, the suffering that he did in our behalf causes us to be so thankful. And to me, again, it's about the response. Look at what he did, the suffering, all the, the mocking, the scourging, the, the beating, the, uh, we, you know, we could go on and on. The degree of suffering was so great, uh, even beginning with his praying to his father that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the, the intensity of that prayer was such that blood was mingled with his sweat. And there is the, the, the picture here of the vastness of the suffering And again, we should appreciate all of this because he took the suffering that we deserve because the reality of it is we deserve that. We're sinners. You know, when when Jesus was on the cross and uh, he was crucified between criminals and one was mocking and uh, and the other said to, to the mocker, look, we deserve what we got. We deserve what we're getting. But this man... This man does not. This man is innocent. And then he turned, you know, sir, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Mm-hmm. Oh, now there's a picture. And, and, and you see, it makes us recognize we deserved this. We deserved it, but we didn't have to suffer it because he suffered it in our place. 
And if you want to talk about love, that's what it should cause us to do. Thank him so much. And that's, to me, that's what Good Friday is about. Yeah, it's tragedy. And, and, and yet, at the same time, what it did was love. Oh, if we could just take hold again of the depth of this love, it's transforming. I, I tell you, people really need to take hold of the vastness of this love. How great the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. It's one of my... gave his only son. One of my favorite hymns. Yeah. Oh, it's so powerful. It makes you want to cry. Just mm-hmm. the lyrics of it, you know? How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And it's wonderful that we can corporately acknowledge the events that took place during this Holy yeah. Week, that we can worship. Uh, we are humbled. Um, and I think our gratitude, or at least it certainly ought to, our gratitude is enlarged. Our capacity yeah. to love others is large because his example exceeds right. you know anything we've ever seen before. And we recognize we cannot love as he loves on our own. I think Peter was absolutely sincere and serious when he said, Man, you can't wash my feet. And then said, mm-hmm. you know, wash all of me. Or when he said, I would never leave you. He absolutely meant that. But he didn't yeah. have the capacity to live up to what he really wanted, wanted to do. He, Jesus has given us um, his Holy Spirit to give us the capacity uh, to live um, in the way that he's called us to. And what a tremendous gift we enjoy because of his faithfulness and his example and his Holy Spirit. That's right, because you're speaking to the, the transformation. Uh, Because the resurrection is personal, the resurrection must be lived. In in other words, God united with us in his death that we might be united with him in his newness of life. We are given the resurrected life. And you see that in in Peter, since you brought up Peter, that night in which Jesus was arrested. And Jesus foretold that you will have denied me three times before the rooster even crows, Peter. And, of course, the, that's part of the story of that night and the, the arrest in the middle of the night and the, the, the mockery of those trials. There's Peter, you know, kind of watching from a distance in the crowd. And uh, someone says, you were with him, and he denies it, you know. And then, oh, you, you have a Galilean accent. You, you were one of them. Now, he denies it again. And, uh, you know, finally, young girl, no, I, you were with him. And then he denies it with cussing. Hmm. And Peter was a fisherman. I suggest to you that he kind of knew how to cuss. <laughs> and he let go with some cussing. Why? So as to be convincing in his denying it is at that moment the scripture tells us that Jesus looked at him oh. they cut their eyes he looked at them Peter looked at Jesus and you know eyes can be so expressive what, what do you think Jesus said to him through those eyes through that one look what do you think he said I, I, see, I imagine Jesus looking at Peter with a deep 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 sadness. Did I not say? Mm-hmm. Did I not say, Peter? And it so impacted Peter 
that he went out and he wept bitterly. He was so disappointed in himself. He was so ashamed in himself that he went out and just wept bitterly. But this is the same Peter that after the resurrection, Jesus restored out of his great love. You know the stories in John, it's a beautiful story of Jesus restoring Peter. And then this is the same Peter, then not, not many days later, he's there in the, in the center of Jerusalem, and he's, he's preaching to the crowds, and 3,000 come to faith in Christ in one, one, one sermon. This is a transformed man. Yes. But that's, that's the power of the cross. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of the resurrected life. And to me, that's what God wants to do in every one of us. To live the transformed life is to live the resurrection. That's, that's the love. It's like, I love you in your sin, and I'll pay for the fullness of that sin, but I love you so much, you're not going to stay in that sin. I'm going to give you the power, because my presence in your life is the power to be a transformed lover of Christ. Is this not a powerful story? Oh, it is a powerful story, um, because it's true, and because... So many have been transformed in the very way that you've described. God is so gracious. Again, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, I want to encourage all of our listeners to return to the scriptures and read through the story again. You know, I've been a Christian for decades, but it never fails to move me. And I never fail to learn something uh, deeper and more personal about who Jesus is and what he's done when I've opened the scriptures to rehearse the things that he went through on my behalf and on our behalf. Pastor Rich, I thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I know this is a very full week and weekend for you. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, Pastor Rich Jones, Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. They've got several services. Check them out if you're looking for a place to worship. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we come back, we'll talk about some ways to, well, enrich your Easter celebration. And we'll look at how deep the Father's love for us really is. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I so enjoy taking time to talk with a local pastor and get his perspective on the events that we are marking this week. And I hope that you are taking full advantage of our access to the scriptures to review the details of what we are told happened. And the Gospels are so interesting because one writer will emphasize one thing and uh, another will emphasize another thing, but painting a full picture of the agony of Christ's suffering and ultimate crucifixion, and then the celebration we look forward to on Sunday. I can't even imagine the despair that the disciples must have felt, despite the fact that Jesus had told them on four separate occasions, this is what's going to happen, and when this is over, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I, you know, I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm. They were told, but to live through those excruciating circumstances, to look on uh, to what's taking place, the person you had placed your trust in and not fully understanding the promise that he made about his own crucifixion and resurrection, it would have been devastating for them. So I'm grateful that we have the full scripture. We know what happens after the suffering, after the crucifixion, Uh, we can celebrate the resurrection. But here on Thursday, we commemorate the last supper, as we discussed earlier, 
As recounted in the Gospels, Jesus partook in the traditional Jewish Passover meal with his disciples on the night before he was crucified, which has become known as the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper or some the last Passover in the Jewish custom. It's known as a Seder or Passover meal. It's since become a tradition within the Christian church to celebrate a symbolic Seder meal on Thursday night that can consist of wine, bitter herbs, parsley, uh, salt water, unleavened matzo uh, bread, hard-boiled egg, lamb, and other elements, depending on the tradition. Another tradition is washing the feet of our loved ones, just as Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Now, when we come together for a foot washing, it's a very different um, enterprise than it would have been there. I mean, we all have access for the most part, to showers and baths. And um, we are fundamentally clean because we have um, regular ablutions, if you will. That wasn't the case for the disciples who wore sandals and did all their traveling by foot. Um, We can also sacrifice some sleep on Thursday night, spend some quality time in prayer in order to keep watch, as Christ did when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, turned to his disciples on three different occasions and said, couldn't you just keep watch with me? He had told him before going off to pray by himself that he was in agony to the point of death. And yet their flesh was so weak that they simply dozed off as so many of us would have as well. So Thursday, as we commemorate the the last supper, these are some of the things you might consider on Friday. We remember the goodness of Christ's sacrifice and putting those two ideas together can be something of a challenge. We call it good Friday, But it may as well be called Devastating Friday, uh, Overwhelming Friday, uh, because of the events that took place, what Christ suffered to get the good in that um, uh, in that description of the day is uh, is very difficult to take. And I don't know about you, but I've read some of the physicians descriptions of the physical um, agony that Christ would have suffered. But that gives us only a glimpse into what I think for him was the more devastating aspect of his faithfulness uh, on Good Friday. It wasn't just the physical suffering. He certainly felt it in the same way that you and I would have, but it was the fact that he was going to be, for the first time, he had had perfect communion with God the Father throughout um, eternity and even in time, and he was going to be separated from God and forsaken for a period of time as he bore the weight of the sin of the whole world, which included my own, which would have been sufficient, but the whole world, every generation, uh, Christ carry that. Now, it may seem somewhat ironic to refer to the Friday before Easter as Good Friday, but it's only good because we know the rest of the story. Well, given that it's the day that Christ suffered a brutal crucifixion at the hands of sinners, um, Good Friday is indeed good because of the profound goodness of Christ's victory over sin and death, but by means of his crucifixion and death on this day that culminates in his resurrection on Easter. The Gospels tell us that Christ was nailed to the cross between nine o'clock and noon, and that he died around three o'clock. Christians can set aside the time of noon to three for special prayer and meditation on the passion and death of Christ, as we're talking about ways to enrich your Easter celebration. That might be one way. Uh, Set aside uh, the time between noon and three for prayer, meditation on the passion and death of Christ. We might also consider fasting as a tangible way to reflect on Christ's sacrifice. And this isn't um, by way of gaining favor. This is to meditate to reflect on and to seek to further understand 
the weight of uh, the sacrifice. Some other ways that we can observe Good Friday might be to take a long walk and meditate on Jesus' road to Calvary. We could watch a film adaptation of the Passion narrative, such as The Passion of the Christ, which is very difficult to watch. Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Risen is another option, um, another well-produced movie to enter into the final hours of Jesus' earthly life more fully. For younger children, you might um, fill plastic Easter eggs with symbols of Christ's passion and resurrection, um, a cross, a nails, a stone, other related items. Um, when they open them, you can give age-appropriate explanations on how each symbol was part of the extent to which Jesus loved us by suffering, dying, and rising for us. On Saturday, preparing for the Lord's rising, historically, the Saturday before Easter has been referred to as Silent Saturday. As we wait Christ's resurrection, we can engage in edifying activities to prepare our hearts for Easter. And one idea is to create a traditional Polish Easter basket as a gift for the pastor. Each item in the basket is symbolic of different attributes of God. One example, an egg symbolizes new life. And Christ's rising from the grave, sausage symbolizes God's favor and generosity. Ham symbolizes joy and abundance. A candle represents the light of Christ and more. You can be creative. A way to inspire kids uh, when they're painting Easter eggs could um, could be to have them look at pictures of the traditional European art of painted uh, painting eggs with intricate designs and Christian symbols. Again, elevating what has become a cultural practice to one that reflects a Christian faith. Another fun activity to do with children is to make a resurrection garden. Now, this consists of a large garden pot that can be transformed into a mini garden that symbolizes Calvary and Christ's tomb using potting soil, rocks, moss, three homemade wooden crosses and other um, elements. And then on Sunday, we all look forward to Sunday. The agony has come to an end for Christ and the resurrection of our Lord uh, is celebrated. And as we celebrate this glorious day on which Christ defeated death and saved us from our sins, the most consequential day in human history. And I just want to take a moment and think about that. The most consequential day in history. We can enhance our celebration in a number of ways. One idea that may especially appeal to families is adding food to our Easter feast that is rich in symbolism Uh, Resurrection rolls, for example, these are made by stuffing crescent rolls with marshmallows. And uh, when they're done baking, the marshmallow inside disappears and you're left with a delicious empty tomb, which is, you know, kind of symbolic, especially if you have younger kids. Adding candles to your Easter table is especially appropriate as we celebrate the light of Christ's resurrected body. Singing traditional Easter hymns is another great way to Revel in the celebration of the spirit of Easter. Another is to make a traditional Easter wreath and hang it on your front door. The symbolism consists, among other things, the wreath itself representing the crown of thorns, a purple ribbon representing royalty and a robe placed over Christ's shoulders during his mock trial, a nail representing his crucifixion, grapes representing the blood he shed, and a lily representing the new life of the risen Christ. In addition to attending an Easter morning worship service, it may be helpful to set aside some time to read the Bible's account of the resurrection. You can find that, of course, in the Gospels of Mark in the 28th chapter, uh, Matthew, rather, in the 28th chapter, Mark in the 16th chapter, Luke in the 24th, and John in the 20th chapter. And it's extremely encouraging to read the Gospel accounts themselves, and Christians do well to ponder these glorious passages on Resurrection Sunday. Just a few ideas as we approach the celebration But before we get to the celebration, we, of course, have to uh, live through Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments on this Maundy Thursday. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I should mention that uh, we here at KPDQ are given Good Friday off, and it's uh, a wonderful opportunity to spend that time in meaningful ways reflecting on the issues and the events of Christ's crucifixion. So I will be out of the office, but we have a Good Friday special. It's titled, Heaven, How I Got Here, Unlocking the Bible. It tells the Easter story from a unique perspective from one of the uh, one of the prisoners um, that was on a cross next to Jesus. So that's coming up from 4 to 6 right here on the Georgine Rice Show. I hope you will enjoy that. Well, in our final moments, I wanted to share just a few things that I find inspiring and hope you will as as well. One of my favorite hymns is titled, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I wanted to recite the lyrics and encourage you to just reflect on God's goodness and the depth of his love for us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gift, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. And another that I think um, draws my attention to the tremendous sacrifice and gift that I enjoy, the salvation that I enjoy because of Christ's faithfulness, even to the point of death, death on the cross. He despised the shame, but he endured it for the joy set before him, and we can rejoice in his faithfulness, his willingness, that his life was not taken from him, but that he laid it down willingly for our sake. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Those are lyrics written by Annie Johnson Flint. The title of the hymn, He Giveth More Grace. And it reminds us that 
There is no limit to the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God extended to those who would believe on him as we remember the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of glory was stripped. His bruised body was nailed to the cross. His nakedness shows us that our true spiritual condition is just that apart from him. Sin leaves us exposed with no covering and no place to hide from the holiness of God. In infinite grace, the Lord Jesus took our place and bore our sin. The Lord Jesus took my place and bore my sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. God made him who knew no sin, a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' death was not a tragedy, although it was a tragedy. He didn't die as a martyr, nor was he murdered. No one can add to Jesus' finished sacrifice for sin. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for me. Because of your sin and mine, Jesus, the beloved Son of God, died by God's will. To reject this price of salvation, to ignore it, to profess not to need it, is surely the greatest of all mortal sins. And I pray in this season we would not be guilty of it. What part did you have in crucifying Jesus? Well, Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. And therefore, while Pilate, the religious leaders and the shouting crowd and the Roman soldiers were all directly responsible for the execution of Jesus, it was my sins and everyone's sins that put him there. Only Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the Passover lamb was adequate substitution to bear the penalty you and I deserve for each and every sin we have committed. It's only through faith in him and his sacrifice that you and I are saved from his judgment at a second death, which is eternal separation from God. When you think about the agony Jesus experienced in the garden, the agony of anticipating being separated from the Father and bearing the weight of the the, the sins of the whole world, it gives you a glimpse into what eternal separation from God will be like for those who reject him. Have you repented of your sin and turned over your life to the only one who can give you new life? How does God see you? Are you still holding on to the pitiful, inadequate fig leaves of your own imagined righteousness? Or are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Have you taken this gift from the hands of Jesus and thanked him personally for it? God is merciful and extends his grace to the world. Are you willing to accept it? And if you have accepted this precious, eternal, irrevocable gift, will you live in gratitude and in his image And in the light of it, what response have you made to Jesus Christ's shame and suffering for you? The death of Jesus requires a response from every person. Jesus' shameful death allows believers to stand before God without shame. The death of Jesus was a triumph, not a tragedy. How will you think? How will you thank the Lord for completing his work in saving you? Again, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. 
Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. I hope you have a blessed Resurrection Day and a great weekend. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.